film and television, merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house, or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. So thank you again for joining us for Between the Bannisters podcast. I'm really excited for this movie today because because we're back to movies because I feel like we have three TV shows in a row, but we are back to movies and this one is one of my favorites and with one of my favorite people. So today we're joined by Alexis Adkins. So a little bit about Alexis, very, very interesting individual. Alexis was born in Georgia but also lived in Tennessee, Louisiana, Florida, Mexico, California, and Texas. She kept her spirits up through her family's many moves by reading, writing stories, and performing, whether by herself in the living room or on a stage. It shouldn't have been a surprise when she relocated to Los Angeles to pursue acting. While she had a steady work, she grew increasingly frustrated by the overall quantity and quality of roles for women. Needing another outlet for her creative expression, she went back to her childhood passion of writing. First, it was scenes for her acting class. Next, her first short. She also shot a short, Hate Me, to build her name and reputation and to entice funding and or name talent. Hate Me wound up winning awards for her acting, directing, and producing. Shortly thereafter, family tragedies led to a period of grief and recentering for Alexis, which included relocating to the Bay Area. She reworked her first pilot, Be Nice, and began submitting to festivals again. This time, Be Nice won a contest that netted her a six-month option at A&E. In addition to her pilot, Alexis is constantly working on new ideas and revising previous scripts. And on a personal note, she is active in animal rescue and welfare and is currently owned by a cat and dog and has fed a wolf with her mouth. <laughs> Period. End of story. Please, before we get into the film, I we're going to touch back on that that feeding wolf with your mouth. I feel like we're, we're it's going to tie into this somehow. I don't know how. We're going to make it fit. So, Alexis, tell the kids what movie we are chatting about today. We're talking about one of my childhood favorites, Nine to Five. Yes, the ever fabulous and one of my personal heroes, Dolly Parton. Oh my gosh, she's patron saint. So yes. <laughs> So uh, tell me why you chose this movie. Um, well, you know, you you asked for movies that impact, you know, TVs or film that kind of impacted me and kind of made me who I am today or, you know, kind of helped shape that. And I, when I, I actually put a lot of thought in it, maybe more than I should have, because <laughs> I obsessed about this for I don't I'm even sorry. know how long. I don't, I'm kind of embarrassed to say. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, it, it was the first movie that came into my head, and then as every time I started thinking about it again, it kept, it kept coming back into my head, and I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to have to just go with that, because when, I mean, like, I've always loved Dolly Parton, even as a kid, mm -hmm. and then when 9 to 5 came out, that was just, like, it was the best, and when it would be on TV, I would 
beg my parents to just stay up until Dolly's one line. And it was the line, I say we just hire a couple of Wranglers to go up and beat the living shit out of him. <laughs> and I, I can go to bed that, right? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> and, oh but I think that kind of, you know, between the environment I grew up in and just the, the subtleness of seeing that as a kid, it's like, as a woman, we don't have to put up with a lot of this shit. We really shouldn't have to. No, we should actually have Wranglers at the ready. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm all for having Wranglers at the ready. <laughs> so what do you feel for this particular movie? Just because there's so much to go on, there is the, you know, there's the glass ceiling that women deal with in the corporate world. There is chauvinistic tendencies. There's misogyny. There is camaraderie. So what out of this movie do you feel shaped you or helped you form either opinions on or helped to uh, help you navigate the world the way you do now? Honestly, I really see their friendships and, you know, they don't start out as friends. They start out buying into the bullshit of, you know, oh, well, she's fucking the boss and she's too useless. She can't even keep a man. And, and I'm better than the rest of you because I actually have a master's and I've trained all of these dudes and they, they bought into that bullshit. But because of, you know, that one little tipping point, they all kind of came together and went, holy shit, that is bullshit. We're actually cool people. Mm-hmm. And while there was a little bit of wish fulfillment and dream fulfillment in there and, and like going back and watching it later, especially like now as a performer, as a, as a writer, you know, you see their fantasy and then like, they actually do their fantasy. Yeah. She actually hog ties him. Uh, Jane Fonda's character actually shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> and and Lily Tomlin out. thinks she poisoned him. But really, you know, coming together, learning to depend on each other, and being there for each other, those complex female relationships that you really don't see very much, honestly, they just kind of disappeared up until very recently. Yeah, and what's so interesting, and it's so funny you saying that, that they, the wish fulfillment, literally, I've, I've probably seen this movie over 500 times, and I'm just saying to myself, holy shit, yeah, they did. <laughs> What a moron. Because she does. If anyone has not seen this movie, there's going to be spoilers aplenty. So I feel very bad for you. Get on it and watch it immediately. But when we're talking about, especially, because I want to take it back to something very important that you said is buying into um, the bullshit about how women are, we're always supposed to be in some kind of either quiet or very vocal competition with each other. And we fall into stereotypes that the patriarchal system definitely helps to perpetrate and then has us hating each other either sometimes sight unseen especially in this day and age um sight unseen or not even getting to know anybody from lily tomlin's character who is she is a single mom she's wise she's learned she's trained everyone above her yeah everybody keeps getting promoted but everybody keeps getting promoted above her including kind of what sets everything off is the guy that she has a master's degree, but he has an associate's and he gets, and she just recently trained him and he, and he got promoted over her. Yeah. And it happens. I wish it was, <laughs> I wish I could say, geez, back in the days, like you don't see that happening anymore, but it happens every day and it happens incessantly for women. But from her point of view and her character, what, 
as a young age, what did it say to you? And then what does it say to you now about, about Violet's character? I think as when I was younger, I'm like, I'm not going to be like that. I am going to be, you know, my friends and I are not going to be the ones who get walked over like that. If, you know, if we go to college, then it's, then we're going to be the ones that are running this shit instead of having men tell us what, not what, you know, what to do or what we can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was so sweet. (laughs) Oh, look at her smoking a joint with her kid. (laughs) (laughs) But like, actually, that's what I love about it is she's not, I mean, none of these women are perfect. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you know this either, but it was the first female-led movie to make over $100 million. That I did not know. That makes sense to me. It does. And of course, there was a lot of critics like, oh, well, this happened and then this happened. And even like last night, I was scrolling through the IMDb goof, like they had it as a goof, where at the beginning, Dolly Parton's character calls Hart's wife, Mrs. Hart. And then at the end, she calls her Missy. And it's like, no, that's not a goof. Remember the fucking line? Remember the conversation when she says Mrs. Hart? And she's like, no, 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 no. Call me Missy. That's why she calls her Missy at the end. And just Mm -hmm. all of the hate that this movie got because men didn't want to pay attention to women in that way. Right. Oh, correct. And I think that especially for for Violet's character and everything that she she is upholding, um, yeah. and everything that we're, especially in the, cause I, you, I'm sure both you and I, um, dealt and then still continue to deal in the corporate area of women are just always going to be subpar, no matter how many degrees are on your wall and how many times you've been in this industry, who you've trained in this industry, we're always going to be seen as a handicap. It, and, it doesn't matter how many times you prove yourself, even like you pull yeah. off some magic trick and it's like, oh, wow, I, I really didn't think you could do that. Really? Because I did the exact same fucking thing six months ago. Right. Good idea. <laughs> Glad, good idea, Bob. Glad you thought of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was my idea like five minutes ago, but I'm glad you said it. Yeah. And, and that happens so often. And especially for somebody like, and all of these characters are so dynamic. We've got, you know, Violet with everything that she's trying to juggle and handle at home and everything she's going into the workplace. And then someone like Judy, who I've been in Judy's position being newly divorced and um, not really not having any real navigable skills in the work sect, but being new to something and having people have to ask you why you're here and then your past and having to deal with people thinking that you are just incapable or feeling meak. What did... right? Well, what did I, I think characters say to you? I think her character as a kid, like for whatever reason, as a kid, even watching her when her husband tried to come back to her, I was like, "Ew, <laughs> ew, yeah." And I didn't understand like the whole S and M bondage lines um, <laughs> until I was older, and then hearing her completely screw those up (laughs) i do m&ms and sns and it's like oh my god (laughs) i i just remember when she was like no there's one more thing to say this is where you get off i would i just remember even as a kid going yeah yeah she has i think the strongest arc of the movie 
because she literally has to fend for herself. You yeah, know yeah. that Dwayne is always going to be there for Dora Lee when she comes home and support her and whatnot. And Violet's going to still be the matriarch and the backbone and the cornerstone of her family. And Judy really doesn't have anyone other than them. Yeah. She has to fight for herself and she really has to dig her heels in. But for Dora Lee's character, I feel like as women, we've all been on her side where we've all been kind of slut shamed either by men or by our colleagues and our peers. Being young and watching that and then watching it as you're older, what was your viewpoint on her, how Dora Lee's character was either portrayed or perceived? Honestly, I, you know, like, I always wanted to be Dolly Parton. Um, so, <laughs> I feel like we all still want to be Dolly Parton. Right? Like, like they say never meet your heroes. And I feel like she's one of those few people that might be the exception to that. Yeah. And I, I desperately cling to that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember her being, uh, thinking she was so beautiful. And how dare someone being so mean to her the way that he was. And I, I didn't even get the whole sexual dynamic. Just he wasn't being nice to her. And that wasn't and that yeah. wasn't cool. And then as an adult looking, you know, watching that, I'm like, oh fuck. If I had a dollar. You yeah. know, just and like even now, some of the, the things it's like that you can tell sometimes people want to be as overt, but they try and dress it up nicely of like, oh well, you know, I didn't I don't mean it like I'm a creeper. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And that's what's so funny about it is that if you can immediately identify that your behavior can be perceived as creepy, you shouldn't have to say, but not in a creepy way, ma'am. Right. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Make it make sense, Alexis. Make it make I, sense. You know, I wish I could, but I my magic is not that strong. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it was, you could teach the rest of us and we wouldn't have to deal with half the bullshit. Because right? I remember something that I will hold very close to to me for a lifetime and I will remember this is one of my worst experiences in corporate was I had a client who was very very friendly from from what I understand is now called safe friendly um, because of the me too movement where you are just very loquacious with the person that you're talking to you are not really flirting you are not saying anything overtly sexual but you are just not going away right and I had said, you know, I really, you know, have to go and X, Y, and Z. I felt very uncomfortable with this individual. I wasn't a one-on-one. We were in a crowd setting, but he was seemed to be wherever I went or appear. And I had let my managers know that. And they had kind of shrugged it off that obviously white men in corporate America don't. Right. Like, oh, well, you know, just suck it up. You're just being too sensitive. Yeah. Super sensitive. He's just being friendly. You need to learn how to take, you know, how to be around nice people yeah oh yeah oh but it didn't stop there so it was I had said something to my my uh my management about it and I guess he had complained that I was not being friendly enough that I was very standoffish I was going to be difficult to work with I was going to keep that attitude and he was a big client and x y and z and then we had done a marketing campaign for him that just didn't you know, pan out as well as we thought it was going to be. Meanwhile, he's trying to sell something stupid and ridiculous that is very summer friendly in the middle of January, but okay. Right. Um, but he was very upset with the results. And 
he called me and screamed at me and called me pretty much every name in the book that you mm-hmm. could call a woman. And I said this to my management and what was told immediately to me was, well, how are you going to fix it? Right. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me. How am I going to fix what? I, I didn't do anything. Right. And they're like, well, if you know, you recall, he said that you were, I was like, this man was on my ass, would yeah. not leave me alone, was harassing me to a point, did a marketing campaign and found this was the only loophole where he could get back at me for not accepting his advances. But right. you're asking me how I'm going to fix it. Yeah. And then they literally didn't have anything to say. And then I put in my notice two weeks later. <laughs> but right. it was, like, oh, you know, I left two weeks later, but it was just, it was the fact that as women, we are always objectified in corporate. Um, we can't be smart enough. We can't be, you know, open enough. Sometimes we're too frigid. We're not friendly enough. But in right. the end, it's all always our fault. Yes. Um, how we've provoked people or we didn't do X, Y, and Z. So I think the appearance of Dolly, which I feel like this was her first role, right? This was her yes. first major movie role. This which was is her amazing. film debut. <laughs> She's amazing. She's right? phenomenal. Like that like, scene where she's yeah. at the back of the where she's at the back of the car, and she's like, um, "Judy, could you come here for a second? <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. <laughs> and I need that. I need that coat. <laughs> I need the oh, blue right? leather belted coat with the that fur is, collar. That was so cute. It's still so cute. So cute. I want it. I want it. I need it now. But I yeah. think for for you know having her character there um, was super important, especially in the eighties when you did have bosses that behaved like heart on a normal basis, and that was the norm. Yeah, it it just blows my mind how much stuff got pushed under the rug or was accepted because that was you know being someone's gal Friday came with a bunch of sexual harassment it was well, very yeah i like even in la i had a boss who would constantly offer to give me neck and back massages um, he was like no you can just lay on my desk it'll be fine what? No. Yeah. um when i said i went out with friends he was like oh did you go to a party and i was like yeah and he's like so when you're out at your parties what turns you on at parties <laughs> hopefully nothing I go to parties specifically to get turned on. I don't know about you. <laughs> right. Like, that's the only reason I step out of the house in the morning is to get my juices flowing. <laughs> Gross. <sighs> if I'm not, oh, like, I a have... suction cup by the time I hit the car, then it's just not. Right, exactly. It's all for naught. And I right. just shouldn't stay in bed. Right. Good grief. Oh, yucky. But I have to, because this movie has so many. I always ask people, like, what was your favorite formative scene or what was your favorite scene? Give me your top five, because there's no way you can pick just one of this movie. No, you really can't. I mean, for one, and definitely the one where they're sitting around and trying to come up with options. Like, how do we do this? Mm-hmm. How how do we keep this quiet? Oh, my God. The, the scene where Lily Tomlin is trying to get the body out of the hospital. <laughs> and the candy striper is like, do you want to get some coffee? And he, she's like, no. <laughs> the candy striper was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. You're a doctor. I didn't see my see your name tag." And she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm a doctor. Why the fuck am I talking to you?" <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I love that. 
wheelchair and she's like we got another sip in the jar oh my god <laughs> like and the way she says it like this is something that happens on a regular basis and that's the part that kills me like it's not that it's a, it's not even a surprise and she's like god damn it there's another one there's another one it's like but the guy is fully like with a sheet over him but it's like how often <laughs> that's what just like this that's what scares me about hospitals quite frankly more than anything else is like i'm gonna walk into the bathroom and there's gonna be a dead body in the wheelchair that i'm gonna have to like deal with you know like, what completely probable i'm not right? gonna <laughs> i'm gonna disagree with you give me another one um <laughs> Like when they do that montage, but they do the clicker, so he goes flying up. <laughs> Swing, like he's of the harness. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, and also just like the final moments, like when the when the elevator scene, the elevator closes, and he's like, Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Was never seen again. <laughs> Russell Tinsworthy. <laughs> and then they're in there, like celebrating with the, and Roz comes in. Holy mared. I love it. I love it. I have, like, for me, one of my favorite scenes is when they are in, I guess they're in Dorley's house. Yeah. Are they in Dorley's house where they're all smoking weed and they're just hanging out right before they they have their fantasies about what they want to do to heart. And right. I want to say one something quick because I don't know if people that are going to be listening or people that are listening. The main plot of nine to five is because <laughs> I don't think we discussed it. <laughs> um, they fantasize about killing their boss, then they kind of actually do, or or then, they know. Or well, well, they, there's an accident, and it and it looks like they might have, um, and then they have to keep. They realize that the only way to get back at him, basically, to kind of level kind of level the playing field is to expose all the um fraud um when you steal from your own company extortion oh, that yeah. uh, not extortion um ah anyway stealing from the company that he's been doing but because of some sort of what Embezzlement. yes thank you oh my god see <laughs> my eyes roll back in my head like what is the word i know right um. <laughs> um. But yeah, that, that, that because of like some like computer meltdown, it's it's going to take like four to six weeks for them to get there. So they have to figure out how to keep him hold up for four to six weeks until they get the proof of his embezzlement. Yes. The the log line says office satire about three female secretaries who decide to get revenge on their tyrannical sexist boss by abducting him and running the business themselves. The trio, one of whom has been passed over for promotion because she is a woman, spent a night together having drug-induced fantasies of killing the slave-driving chauvinist. One of them panics the following day when she suspects she really has poisoned the tyrant. Drug-induced fantasies. <laughs> you make it seem like they're like tripping balls. <laughs> God. <laughs> I'm screaming. I have never seen this long line of my life <laughs> it's not even about it's so weird <laughs> i love how like that whole the the one line that gets used like multiple times um hypocritical sexist misogynist bigot or wh whatever whatever that 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 oh, stream sexist, of... egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. yes that 
um, on one of the anniversaries of the movie's release, they um, they they really leaned into that. Like they put that everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's sweet. It's a sweet one. It is. It it really is. It's pretty good. But I think you know what's what's so funny about it is that it gave us such a good glimpse of things that we probably all do. And not talking about to the extreme of having drug induced fantasies of killing people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, things you would say to bosses, things you would say to managers. And and it's not every manager. I mean, people leave managers. They don't leave jobs. Right. So it's it's the people that are given the tools to lead and still don't know what to do with them and think that ty- tyranny is the only way to lead. Yeah. And we, we deal with it every day, especially as women. We deal with it every day. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's actually my biggest complaint with corporate America is you have people who have proven that they're good at projects or delivering a particular, you know, goal, mm-hmm. but they're not actually good at managing people, but they get promoted to manage people, but mm-hmm. never given any kind of real training or skills. And whenever it's brought up, it's like, we have too much training as it is. Ugh. No one wants to take training. Ugh, that's touchy feety girl stuff. Ugh, ugh. Yeah. Oh, fuck off. But we'll all have sensitivity training though. Right. <laughs> that will do. Right. Like the um, one of the companies that I worked for, the vice president was the only one in the company that did not have an MBA. Yeah. The vice president. Yeah. Did not have an MBA. <laughs> And fired two MBAs because he felt like they just didn't really get what the culture was trying to do. I mean, the culture was definitely um, playing beer pong right. at 5.05 when we got done on Friday in the office and having a wife that has two PhDs um, and guilting her into raising your child so you can be the vice president of a company that you're not qualified to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, so he was one of those types. Yeah, I worked for one of those. Uh, he was a VP and it pissed a lot of people off that he got the job purely. Uh, I mean, it was pure nepotism. Oh yeah. Pure, pure nepotism because at that particular company to even be like, even at a junior level it is required to have a PhD. So a VP definitely had to have a PhD mm-hmm. and he did not. Yeah. And he was awful. But I feel like that's what, you know, we give when she says, you know, people have, Violet says people have leapfrogged over her yeah, in the company that aren't even qualified to do. And, and Hart's statement back to her is people would rather deal with men when it comes to figures. Yeah. But he does not give her a reason why. I mean, that is the, that is the period end of sentence. It is just a fact. Deal yeah. with that fact. And She's never really given any any other explanation. Like, that is what it is. That's the rule of the land. That's the lay of the land. And that's it. Yeah. Um, and that's, we're still in that. And that sucks. Yeah, we, we really are. It's like, it doesn't really matter, you know, and, and that's just it is there's a lot of women who are really good with numbers. Um, do they get the, do they get the positions they deserve? No. Do, I mean, they, we have to prove ourselves 10 times more than any man yeah and we always will yeah yeah i just i, I mean I, I would love to see i really see the tide turning i mean i really think <laughs> no i feel like there's a whole like group 
grouping of people with the ideology that that Franklin Hart has, mm-hmm. that, that generation is going to have to die off before we do anything. Well, the problem is, is that particular generation has, has, I mean, most of that generation is, is dead anyway, because like, if you think about it, that's kind of right on the edge of um, greatest generation slash boomer. Mm-hmm. So like for him to be what he was probably in his 40s at that point, yeah. so he was probably, and that was further the 80s. So yeah, he was probably more latest generation. So most of them have already gone on, but unfortunately they're still poisoning the the younger generations that come in. And even the women like Roz have poisoned other women. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be the tattletale. There is only one <clears throat> position for women and I have it, so just deal with it. Yeah. Oh. I never really think about, I mean, I do think about Roz because she is kind of a little, a comic relief, but she really is <laughs> internalized misogyny incarnate. <laughs> right. Yeah, she really is. She really is. Oh, Roz. Is there, outside of favorite scenes yeah, and things we really loved about it, is there one thing or a few things in the movie that you felt didn't work or you're like, oh, I wish they didn't do that and I wish they did this instead? I don't know so much about that as much as just some of it hasn't aged as well. Yeah. Just, you know, like, we don't call our bosses Mr. and Ms. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if we're age equitable, um, we're, we don't, we don't do that anymore. Um, I, I do think it's definitely something funny to watch movies without cell phones nowadays. Yeah. Because it's like, wow, we really lived in that era. Yeah. That's, that's kind of crazy. Right, we needed a landline. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, even like the whole thing of proving that he was embezzling, like the fact yeah. that the mass, the mainframe computer was going to take that long to get back up so they could actually get any data off of it. Mm-hmm. And then they couldn't like email it. They could only, you know, snail mail. I mean, they might have been able to FedEx, but even in, at that time, FedEx, gosh, were they even doing... Um, overnight at that point i feel like that was like later 80s that they were doing like the later night the overnight. yeah i don't think so but yeah it is funny to see like how six weeks like that would probably be an afternoon job right if anything yeah oh, we'll get back to you in two hours <laughs> right you know um our servers crash or you know like you know our servers crashed they're coming back up can i get it to you tomorrow yeah you know like worst case scenario yeah, and that's what's so funny because it's like, then we wouldn't have the madcap, <laughs> right? We wouldn't have the madcap. What do you feel this movie? Because we did talk a lot about women's continued place in corporate America, or where people are trying to push women to a sticking point in corporate America. What do you feel, on, in your personal opinion, that this movie was trying to say? I think that they were trying to shine a light on it you know, shine a light on, you know, the, the true differences, the true disparities in how women and men are seen. And even the way that our management style is, you know, we get, we have increased revenues while having increased morale, uh, reduced worker turnover. Like you had the lush that got sober in that six weeks. Yeah. 
Margaret Foster. <laughs> That's right, Margaret Foster. I just remember. I just. I just remember um, them going out. Uh, I, I need to get a drink. You get it, girl. <laughs> a girl. A girl. Margaret. I just keep drinking, and then. Wait, wait. Margaret Foster the lot like how she looked 180 degrees different. Yeah. You know, I did it all because of you. All of those words of encouragement. Thank you so much. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, th- that wasn't really him. I mean, that was that was the women saying that. And it's like, you know, that we have to go, we have to put that male persona on for us to get that recognition or that that to get any kind of movement. But yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of the what they were shining a light on of like how things could actually be different do you think that because there's so much that goes on in this movie um i'm gonna ask you to describe this movie to someone that has no idea who any of these women are especially dolly parton can oh my god okay so (laughs) how heavy is the rock you're living under (laughs) that but also okay first of all You've got Lily Tomlin, who's like one of the funniest fucking women ever, like wicked smart, razor sharp tongue, really, really strong. Um, She's a she's a mom and she's a widow and she's trying to work in the 80s and just keep moving ahead and, and keep all of the plates that she's got spinning, spinning at the same time. And then you've got Judy, who is like this little mousy girl. And you have to remember in the 80s, it was still kind of taboo to get for women to get divorced. So she's mousy. She feels like she's worthless because her husband cheated on her with his secretary and got her knocked up and went and uh, bailed on her to be with the secretary. So she feels like like she's she feels like shit on a platter. <laughs> and she's got to figure out a way to make a living, but she doesn't have any skills. And of course, you know, just being a housewife doesn't mean you have skills because, you know, God knows like balancing checkbook isn't anything like running a budget, but that's a different Oprah. Um, <laughs> she manages to get in, get this job. And then you've got Dora Lee, who's like super fucking hot. And she is like the sweetest, sweetest fucking person on the planet. All she wants is for people to like her. And she bends over backwards, sometimes literally, to get people to like her because she just is like this little ball of sunshine. And they keep getting fucked over by their boss. One is, you know, he's saying that he's sleeping with Dora Lee, so everybody hates her because of that. Um, Violet tries to, is, is trying to be, you know, a, a, a woman in her own environment and, and manage everything, but she's sick of it because she keeps training people that get promoted over her because she is just stuck where she is, but she has to train everybody, including Judy. Um, no clue why she why Judy even got hired, but okay, I still have to train her to be a secretary. And every single one of them get gets fucked over by the boss, and they leave, and they kind of bond over this. They you know, they start out drinking, they move to Dora Lee's place, and it just goes completely, it, all of the things that normally go wrong in life that everyone says are too ridiculous to put in a movie because no one would believe it, all of that shit happens, <laughs> including tying him up for six weeks 
in his own bedroom while his wife is on a cruise so that they can get the what little information they can to actually level level the playing field and get him maybe maybe get him the just desserts he he he, he desperately needs all for it to actually all of the things that they do while he's gone do so well that the president of the company comes down and basically whisks him away to the forests of Brazil. <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> Yay, Alexis, that was great. <laughs> if I can just have the folks see your gears like turning and subscribing. <laughs> she was really in it. Really in it. And I loved it. Every minute of it. No, I'm excited because I love I love this movie. I'm actually gonna go home and watch it. I'm gonna make my kids watch it. We're trying to start new holiday traditions, and one of them is like incorporating more like films into that. So we've we've already decided to make <laughs> Christmas night Lord of the Rings night. Um, okay. But there's nothing that says I, I can't have Madcap uh, Thanksgiving Eve, which I feel like this is gonna be one of them. Like no, one of my like there's. <laughs> It, no, I think this was is a is a great movie for Thanksgiving Eve because I like things that are a little dark. You know that this movie was actually supposed to be a lot darker, and they were like, "No, we really can't do that. No one would actually take it." That's why um, they had to lighten it up a little bit. Yeah, they had to lighten it up a little bit. That's funny. But I, <laughs> honestly, I it, I do I dark comedies are kind of my favorite. Yeah. So like for Thanksgiving, I like to watch Home for the Holidays, Dutch, if you can find it anywhere. Oh, Dutch! I like right. that one. What do you like to do? Wiggle and grunt? Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's not going to be Thanksgiving by the time you guys hear this, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you how far and organized ahead we are. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm so, Alexis, I'm so glad that, that I got to discuss this with, with you specifically, just because Alexis worked very, very hard at her day job where she is, I feel incredibly underappreciated um, and the most knowledgeable person in the place. So I'm very excited to have been able to talk to you specifically about this. Thank but you so much. In, oh my gosh, of course. Any time. This was a hoot. But I want <laughs> to um, let the kids know where can people find you and your projects? I'm, I try to be most places, Alexis, as a you know, Alexis Adkins, like Twitter, Alexis Adkins. Um, I'm also Dixie Mouse or Dixie Mouse Films. Um, so Twitter is Dixie Mouse Films. Still building my website, which is just DixieMouse.com. But now that I'm putting it out there, I should have it. I should at least have something up there before you go live with this so that people can actually go there and go, oh, hey, that's cool. Oh, hey. Hopefully. <laughs> Um, on Vimeo um, projects, I've either I've either done myself or have been in uh, uh, Vimeo dot uh, com slash Dixie Mouse. I like it! Yay! Yay. Go visit, take in Alexis. <laughs> She's also incredibly funny and um, witty on the webs. So you'll <laughs> enjoy that too. But yeah, thanks for joining me today, Alexis. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for inviting me. So we will see you next week, kids. Take care.
Hey, kids, before you hit that stop button, I want to let you in on a little secret. So Thursday, we're going to be dropping a Christmas episode um, discussing one of the movies that is widely debated as to whether or not it is a Christmas movie. I'm actually going to be joined by one of my very good friends, Chris Carnicelli, who is one third of the Kryptonaut podcast crew. So take a listen to their podcast. It's Kryptonaut Podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, check them out and be ready for us to drop that episode on Thursday.